And this is a little bit of what John does. He's going to let us know that Jesus Christ, and you can tell a lot about somebody when they pray. Um, in our younger days at the church that we went to when we were in high school, he and I were in high school sweethearts, and we went to um, um, a, a, a large church. And um, there was a man that went to that church. He was an older man. He's with the Lord now. But he um, was one of my, my best friends. It was his grandpa. And uh, Brother Floyd Stone. And you guys would have loved Floyd Stone. I mean, he was a Herbert. Floyd was his son, Herbert Stone. Herbert. Um, and you would have loved Herbert, but uh, the thing that, that stood out about Herbert Stone to me was that as a young man and young married man, um, I, this was a real volatile time in my spiritual walk um, with the Lord. And I was newly married. We had Taylor, I think, Tori was on the way. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was very overwhelmed. What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a godly husband? What does it mean to be a godly father? And, and I was wrestling with all of these things. And, and our church called this time of prayer where they just opened up the sanctuary early in the morning and you could just come and you know, sit in the, in the seats and they would put on you know, some worship music and people would just pray. And, and, and there were people that could you know, pray for 10 minutes and leave an hour or whatever. Uh, but but Herbert Stone was a this guy this guy knew how to pray, and this guy talked to God. And the thing was, as you'd go into the sanctuary, I remember going in there. I'd find a little spot back there. He would he would sit he would sit like this. The old man is retired. You could see he'd sit like this, and he'd just lean up against the altar, and he would just talk to God. He'd be like, I'm talking to you. Coming to you in the name of Jesus. And he just acted like God was sitting right there across from me. And he would just say, I love you. Thank you for the cross. Oh, God, thank you for the cross. And Lord, I'm in the heat of not need. He just kept calling out, you know, they need you, God. You see them. And it was the most relational thing I'd ever seen in my life. He was just, just talking out loud to God. And it was like, I think, I think God's probably just sitting next to him. To the Holy Spirit, he is. And you just listen. I catch myself just listening to Herbert Stone's breath. Because there was something about it that, that, that just absolutely touched my heart about his relationship with God. And it's interesting in the last sermon, here's Jesus right before John 18 comes and the arrest happens. Remember, he's in the garden and the, and the, the guards come and they arrest him. And he is praying to the Father, and we get a glimpse of God. We get to hear what He's praying. And again, what, what is He praying? Why is He praying? Right before He's to be arrested. And so we're going to be in John 17, um, called, called the Prayer of Jesus, or the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. Um, and before we do that, though, I want to pull out a couple of passages from the end of John chapter 16, because again, it gives us context to what was happening right before going into the time where Jesus would pray. At the beginning of John 15, this is one of the times where Jesus is prompting uh, and telling us about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what he would do. And so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So the end part of John 16 is where I want to begin. Um, I'm not going to have the whole text up there, but it, it'll be up there in a moment. But um, he says this, and, and he's talking to his disciples again. He's with them. He says, "In a little while, you won't see me anymore." And he's, again, he's talking about the reality that he's going to be uh, arrested and he's going to be crucified. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. There's the promise that they're going to have to hang on to. 
some of the disciples, they begin to ask each other. And these guys were, they were honest to a fault. They didn't get it. And they should qualify that I could have been a disciple because I would probably do the same as them sometimes. He says, what does he mean when he says, then I'll go on see it, then you'll see me and, I, and that he's going to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. You know, they didn't like all this talk that he was going to be, you know, the Son of Man must have been out of the and the sinners. And again, they had seen his power, they had seen his authority, and they were like, look, this needs to take over, right? It's time to establish your kingdom and take over this, and then so there's struggling for it. And so Jesus says, are you asking yourself by what I mean? I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. And so let's, let's, let's pick it up in verse 20. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. It's the reality of the crucifixion. You're going to weep and you're going to mourn. It's going to be awful. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but listen to this, but your grief will suddenly be turned to joy. Don't you love the suddenness of God? I do. It will be like a woman suffering pains of labor when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy, but she gives well a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. And so, ladies, he actually uses an analogy. Only Jesus can say that. Your husband has no idea. He's not allowed to say that, okay? Only Jesus can say that. But I will be like a woman being, you know, kind of, you know, that. Um, because we watched. Um, but there's anguish and there's joy. At least it's suddenly. You're going to weep and mourn. It's going to be tragic. But suddenly, your weeping and mourning will turn to joy. No one can rob you of this joy. And then, at the very end of John 16, he says this, I told you all this. All this. What he's been, what he's been getting at the whole time. Right? From John 13, about serving and loving one another. And, and I am the vine, and speak under the branches, and remain in my love. And he said, I told you all of this so that you may have peace in you. Me. Here on earth, you will have troubles. You have many trials and sorrows. And Jesus promises in this life, in this world, there is trouble to take heart. I have overcome the world. So what he's telling them is, 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 is what, I, what I'm about to go through is going to be horrific. It's going to look like great defeat. It's going to look like that we've lost. But suddenly, your mourning will turn to joy, and you will see that it's the greatest victory ever known to humanity, because I will defeat death itself. And it gives us hope, because he said, you're going to have trials, you're going to have sorrows. And again, the disciples knew, they, they, they were going to know you know, firsthand, because they would be arrested and, and be beaten, tortured, tormented. And, and he said, you're going to need to hang on to this. And so when we go through trials or sorrows of many times, we can say, we have Christ, we have peace in Christ. And suddenly, and no matter how bad it gets, suddenly our mourning will turn to joy when we see them, when we see him, when we see his face. So no matter what happens, Jesus is saying, if you have me, you have all you need. That's what he said you will. That you have peace in me, joy in him. The resurrection was for them as it is for us. It was a sudden. We're going to be talking about that next week a little bit. But that, that suddenly he was dead. They saw it all happen. They saw him brutally beaten. And so the miraculous power of God raising him from the dead suddenly was the resurrection. 
they were hanging on to that. That's why they could go um, into those places of sorrow. That's why they could go into, you know, trials of being tortured or being um, persecuted for righteousness' sake, that, that they could hang on to what Jesus did. So with Jesus, no matter how bad the trials get, it's only temporary. And there will be a suddenly for us, too. You know, and sometimes he meets us in it when we're going through stuff. Sometimes he'll meet us in it. Sometimes he walks us through it. Sometimes he delivers us all of it. But at the very end, we will see him face to face. And the suddenly will be he will leave from this life to the next life. And there he will be. Can you imagine that suddenly? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Suddenly, we will see him face to face. And so he was giving him hope for what was about to happen. And then he begins to grow. He prays many things. Um, we could do an entire sermon series on John 17. We could just pull out the things that we prayed. I'm not going to do that. Um, and so I'm going to just highlight several things that we prayed. We're going to take a look at those, what they mean to us again. Why did we pray them? What does it mean in our world? What was important in our lives um, today of what Jesus prayed? Now, again, when Jesus prayed, he doesn't pray on this. He doesn't. He doesn't just pray half-heartedly. He doesn't say, well, God, yes, for whatever. His, his request will be granted. He prays perfectly righteous prayers. He prays for his disciples. He prays for them. And then he also prays for us. So let's look at what he prays. Okay, so John 17, starting in verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And he's talking about again the reality of what is about to happen. Glorify his son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over who? It's real important. I mean, Jesus is praying this. God, Father, you've given me authority. Jesus has authority over everyone. He's got authority over you and me. That's the, the, this is the idea that can be tied and parallel to his judgment that we will all stand and give him account because we will have all authority over everyone. Doesn't matter people that worship him, didn't worship him, hated him, didn't believe in his existence. At some point, they're going to really believe that he existed in the He has authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Verse three, and this is the way to have eternal life. And so Jesus gives the gospel to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one true earth. I brought glory here to here to you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory you shared before the world began. So Jesus purposed again. He said this over and over. It's to bring glory to the Father and the Father to bring glory to Him. And then our purpose, as He modeled, is we were created to bring glory and honor to the Godhead, to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, by how we live for Him. Jesus says, I have authority over everyone. And so our, our, our calling, our mission is to bring him glory. And then Jesus begins to this is the way to have eternal life to be. He gives us even the gospel um, to know you, the one true God, and to know Christ, to know God, to know Jesus, the one you sit to the earth. And that word to know, again, is, is more than just head belief. Even when Jesus said believes, and he would say, you know, whoever would believe on him, this is more than just having that head knowledge. Well, I believe in Christ. Does that mean I'm going to heaven? No, it's transformed belief. It's transformed knowledge to know him. It's to, like, it's to say, like, I know you as a friend. Do I really know you or do I just know things about you? It is, an, it is a relational word. It's an intimate word to know 
God. Transformational knowledge. We were created for relationship. Living in the ways that God taught us by Jesus. To surrender and give our lives to Him every day. To repent that we turn from our way of living and put our hope, our lives, our trust into His hand and trusting in His sacrifice and His resurrection. The work of Christ. I don't have it up on the screen, but verses 6 through 12, he prays about his own disciples there. He's praying for them. Again, because of what they would endure. Remember when they would scatter and they would run because they would see what was going to happen. And he said, Father, I've revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They're always yours. You gave them to me. And he says, I passed on to them what you gave me. And so what he's doing is this impartation of the mission and gospel of why he came. I gave it to them, and then they're going to give it, and then they're going to give it, and then they're going to give it, and the generations are We are here today because of the disciples believe in Jesus, and they carry on the mission, and they became the church, and we are here today because of them. And so he says, now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, protected by the power of your name so that they will be united. And we're going to get into what talking about when we united. So verse 13. So now he's talking to God. He says, now I'm coming to you. In other words, I'm getting ready to be there. I, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they will be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. And you've heard of the, have you ever heard that phrase, in the world and not of the world? This is where we get that. So what is Jesus saying? He said, I, I, I placed them in the world. The mission is like he came, but we're basically they're, they're, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. They have a mission here. Just, and, and, and as his disciples, so we, we have a mission here. And it's a mission as a church is to advance the gospel in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not taking them out of it. But I want them to live on purpose and to live for Jesus, to claim Him by our words and our actions. Again, to bring Him glory wherever we are, to whomever we come in contact with, whatever we're doing, whatever God has called us. And, and that's why Paul called us sojourners. He called us aliens. You guys, if you belong to Christ, you're an alien. Not the green kind. But he just says that this is a temporary place for you. This is not, the world's not your permanent home. We have a short period of time, even if we, even if we live to a ripe old age, even if we get up there into those 90s and maybe, maybe even drinking on 100, it's still a drop in the bucket to compare to eternity. We are here temporarily. This is not our home. We were created to be with Him forever, to be in His eternal kingdom. That's why we live for eternity. It's so we're, we're in this, we're in this in-between place. Remember Paul told the Philippians, he said, I want to go and be there with him, but for your sake we're here. In other words, you guys are okay and all, but I'd rather be there. But, I, but he says, I know that God, while I'm here, I know that you are my mission and my purpose. And, you, and, and it's because of you and that I'm here that God has placed me here, but I, I'd much rather be there. And so we're in this divine in-between place where we don't live so much for this world. And a lot of times we as Christians, we cling on to this world like it's the last thing that we're ever going to have. And Jesus is saying, oh, there's so much more. There's so much more. 
but also you don't check out and just live for eternity for the, and, and for the reject and neglect of what you're called to do here. And you just you know, kind of live in a cave somewhere waiting for Jesus to come and get you. He says that while you're here, you have mission and purpose. But don't cling to this earth so strongly because heaven is your home. That's why Paul called us sojourners, aliens, foreigners, you're temporary. Jesus says then, he goes on, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Who's the truth? Remember Jesus saying that, John 14, I am the truth. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And he's praying to God, teach it to them. Teach them the word. Teach them the truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them so they can be made holy by the truth. So again, he's saying we don't belong to this earth. In verse 17, verse 17 this, and this is how, how do we live here? How do we do that? How do we stay in this divine in between? We're made holy by His truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus isn't relative. Truth isn't relative. Culture tells us truth is relative. It's truth is whatever you want it to be. Not according to Scripture. Not according to Christ. Not according to His prayer to the Father that He is truth. His word is truth and standards truth. We're going to be judged by the truth of who Christ is and what He did. Doesn't matter what culture says. It, it, it doesn't matter, and that's why Jesus said they're going to hate you, like they hated me. When you start taking a stand and say Jesus is truth, He's the only way to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. The world looks and says, "Well, you're very narrow-minded, and you're not very tolerant." And we can be loving, and we can be kind, and we can be gracious, and we would treat people with dignity and respect that don't agree with us. We have n- never, ever. Do we have permission to be mean to people? To love people because they need the gospel. To pray for them, we should love them. But we should stand on the truth of what Christ said about himself, even if it's not popular. So the Holy Spirit again testifies that the truth of Christ in us. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So we adhere to his ways, his teachings, his life, his standard, and that's what he teaches in the word. The word is the words where we find out who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, how to live, the scriptures, the Bible. Go to that. Don't go to the world. Don't go to the culture. Don't go to the, the, the neatest, even even Christian books or, 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 or pastors. I'm just telling you, you've got to test everything by the Word of God. Test everything by the Word of God. That's why we desperately need the Word. And Jesus will echo that. But we need be made right by the truth. And he says, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. We are sent. We carry on his mission. What is his mission? He modeled it. He came to the earth. He laid down his life for us. We are now sent into the world to lay our lives down, take up our cross, and follow him. And his sacrifice is the only way we can be made holy and right with God. And so Jesus then goes into, and I'm going I'm to kind of wind it down here, but he prays specifically for us. Isn't that amazing? 
Jesus prays for us, and in the high priest prayer, he prays for us, and I'm going to tell you that in a moment. Romans 8, it says that he forever lives to make intercession, so he's always praying for us. But here on the earth, he, he, he mentions to us and he prays for us, so let's look at that. And what, let's look at the implication of what he's praying for. So I'm praying not only for these disciples, and he just prayed for his, his group, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. We're here because of their message. I pray that they all will be what? Just as you and I are when he's talking to the Father. He's saying, he's saying, Father, I want those people a couple thousand years from now sitting in Montevideo. I want them to be one like we're one. Why? May they be one so that the world believes in me. He was praying for our unity. If you remember at the beginning of the year, this is our theme for the year, and I believe that unity is way more important than we believe. And so if Jesus would use his last few minutes to pray, think about it. Think about the implications. This is literally right before the arrest. And he spends his last few minutes of prayer for us. That the gospel is on the line. Unity, being devoted to each other. Right? Being, being loving each other. And he says this, and, you know, and, and Paul would echo this. Paul echoes this several places when he's in the church. To be wholly devoted to each other. What is devotion? It's profoundly dedicated to each other. I don't want Judgment Day to be the revelation to me of how important unity was to Jesus. It was huge. And so right before the rest of praying for us, I think it would behoove us to ponder and meditate on why he would pray for And he says it's so important that they would know each other so and may, they may believe in us so that the world will believe in sent me. The gospel. He's saying, your, our unity reveals the gospel. Do you catch that? That's what he's saying this morning, that, you know, that, that they will know that we are Christians by our love one with one another. This parallels to what he says at the beginning of the last sermon. In John 13, he says, they're going to feel proof that you're my disciples by how you love each other. In other words, how does it map out? How does it work out among you? They're not going to know that we are Christians by our clever doctrines, our, our, our knowledge, how much we know. And those are, again, those are important that we know those things and we have good doctrine. They're not going to know that we are Christians by how many scriptures you've memorized. They're going to know that we are Christians by how we love each other. And that's why Paul said we are to run the race. We're intended to run that you've got to cast off those things that entangle your feet. But we are created to run together. You ever seen a, you know, the, the marathon, you ever seen a marathon race begin? And I know they're running against each other, but I get a little glimpse of the, like the body of Christ all running together. It's a big pack of feet, but we are intended to run together, not veer off and go our own ways. But Paul is using this running analogy. He said, you know, are to run the race instead of horse and kick aside those things that would easily entangle us. We're, we're made to run the race. 
But when our feet are all tangled, and it's the things that we mentioned earlier, worship unforgiveness, and we have these things that we are that we are tied that tie our legs, and, and then we are running like penguins. And we don't get very far. We're intended to run the race that's set before us. To run the race. To make Him known together. To be devoted to each other. Are you His disciples? The test is how we promote unity and love each other. Laying down our life for one another. And what it's saying is unity. What it's saying is I'm not going anywhere. In a world that we live in, the culture that we live in, we, disagreement means tearing and divorcing and separating. In the kingdom, it must be different. It's saying I'm not going anywhere. Unity doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That's the that's, that's the beauty of unity. It's saying I don't agree with you, with you, but I will fight for you. I've got your back. And we might disagree on different things, but I love you to the point I'll lay my life down for you. It's not I'm not going anywhere. I will forgive you. I will choose to forgive you when you hurt me. I won't let the church be about me. The church is about something greater than all of us. The church is about Christ and His kingdom. And as as He tarries and He doesn't return yet, we will come and go. Our whole generation will be gone, and somebody else will come behind us. And we are to be called faithful and to pass on the torch to the next generation. And it's not a torch that me and my presence is. It's a torch that here's who Christ is. Let's follow Him. Keep going. Keep running the race until we all get to eternity and see Him face to face. get excited with you. I'm not going to let the, the truth be about me and my preferences, but about advancing the kingdom of God. I will love no matter what. This is the picture of Jesus building His church. What does that mean? It means being involved. It means, it means doing life together. Connected. Let me ask you a question. If this hurts your toes, people have asked me these kind of questions too. So, fellow toe stepper. What would the church look like if everyone was as involved as you? Really think about that. What would the church look like if everyone were as connected as you? What would the church look like if everyone gave to the level that you did? Would the church be here? That's why Paul gives the analogy that we are a body. You are an integral part of the body of Christ. And we're called to run the race together. That's why in Acts 2, remember at the end of Acts 2, we see the church has is, 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 been born, and it's new, and it's messy, and they're doing life together. But it says this, that they have everything in common. There's great unity. And then, because of the unity, it says the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And that's why I think when Jesus prayed, you know, let the let, Lord let them be one. Father, let them be one so the world will know. And that's what they were beginning to see in Acts 2. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the teaching. It was their unity that began to reveal the reality of Christ in the Spirit. And the, and the Lord was adding to the numbers daily. 
They don't care how much of the gospel we know as much as they care about how the gospel is transformed in our life. Do they see true love? Do they see forgiveness? Because again, it's not like that, and I've said this over and over, it's not about us receiving some utopian perfection, even in our own when we blow it, the gospel is true. It's saying, I forgive you. It's manning up or womaning up, or whatever you want to say, and saying, it's hard. Forgive me. Taking the initiative. This is what Jesus is praying for. And then Jesus finishes the prayer by saying this, Father, I want these who you have given me to be with me. Isn't that beautiful? Meditate on that. Father, I want these who you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Jesus is saying this about you and me. I want you to be with me. I want, I want you to be where you're going. I want you to be there. I want you to be with me forever. Then you will see the glory. You will understand the glory of all the things that I've been promised to you. That when you leave this life, you will have that suddenly. When you die from this earth, no matter what happens, that you die, no matter how bad the things get on this earth, you will have a suddenly when you see him face to face. And can you imagine him looking at you, embracing you, saying, Well done. Welcome. This is everything I promised you. I want you to be with me forever. It reveals this relationship with us. Suddenly you'll be filled with joy. So he's saying the promise of eternity is real. Hold on, hang on to it. Again, in context, think about what was about to happen. The guards were about to come into the, the, the garden. They were about to grab him. They were about to start striking him and punching him and mistreating him. The disciples were going to run in every direction. He had just gotten to saying all this, praying for them, and they were going to run in different directions. Doesn't it give you hope? The times where you may have maybe blew it, the times where you said, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I bailed on you at that, that my most vulnerable moment, that, that I had that, I had a doubt, I had, I, Lord, I, I, I blew it, and, and I've been there. Where maybe God didn't answer prayer like you thought it was going to be answered, and, and again, nothing was taken down like they thought it was. They were troubled the whole time, and now the guards are there, and they start punching and smacking and spitting on Jesus, and they're like, we're out of here. We run, and I imagine all of them, in some way, felt ashamed because he said, "You know, you guys are going to leave me. You guys are going to, you guys are going to jump ship. You're going to abandon me." Even have Peter saying, "Not me. I will die with you." Who? Who? What? It gives me hope that he said all this thing. He promised all this great one, and then they died. They were going to hang on to these words later. And that's again why they were able to lay down their lives and be tortured and tormented for the sake of Christ. They remembered his words and they felt him resurrected. He's reopening to them. Heaven's real. It's not empty promises, it's a real place where he really did and he wants to be with us forever. See the importance of unity and understand what it means. And I encourage you to. If you 
you want a topic to study on and read about, read about unity and about what you say and about what the Apostle Paul writes all these things in the different ways. You've heard me use these scriptures a lot. You've been in the year, you've done a lot of scriptures there. I want to do that today. I want to specifically look at what Jesus was saying. Is the gospel to be by our unity and our love for each other and how that works out. That we are vessels created to bring Him glory no matter what we are doing or where we're at, what job we're in, the people that we're around. When we are surrendered to Jesus, living completely for Him, loving each other, united with each other, walking in this presence, we are a shining light to the world of this reality. And one day, when this life is no more, we get to be with Him forever. We stay with Him. Fight for unity. Lord, we love you today. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. I echo my wife's prayer that in during worship. There's somebody that you need to be reconciled with, or somebody you need to forgive, or somebody you need to ask for forgiveness. Do not wait. Don't wait. Do not wait. There's somebody that you need to love. Somebody that you God's calling you to serve. Is there somebody in your midst and one of your brothers and sisters in Christ that you need to live to be with? Jesus, we love you. We want to honor you by having you live for you. We want to love you. Lord, we want to be beautiful. God, as you pray, Jesus, we want to be a part of seeing that request answered among us to see the gospel. Go throughout this world in our region. We want to be faithful to that, to love each other, to serve each other, to live for you, to make you known, to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for people to the cross. And as we again celebrate this kind of holy week that we remember to be the top of us. Your love demonstrated by going to the cross for us. We'll thank you for that. Thank you, God, for what it means that we are now free from our sins because of you. Give you our hearts today. We give you our lives. We give you this church. And we say, God, help us to advance the kingdom. I love you, In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Good Friday service this Friday. Um, next week, Easter Sunday. Hopefully, you can be here and invite some I'm not going to